Welcome to another episode of Betty. This is where we share lessons about life, leadership, and the mostly peaceful pursuit of joy. Now remember, there's an asterisk on everything. We could be right, we could be wrong. We're all just making it up as we go. I hope you find something here that's helpful along your journey. We began sharing written words 3,500 years ago. Then, circa 100 BC, the first books show up, but on different sides of our little blue ball. You would have found rolled bamboo held together with silk, hemp, or leather in China and bound vellum made of animal skin in Rome. Fast forward to 1439 and Johann Gutenberg invents the printing press and mass produces the Bible. That story may be familiar to those in the West, but what I didn't know was that 200 years prior, the first metal movable type was invented in what is now Korea. The first book, the Jikji, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, would be produced with this method more than 50 years prior to the Gutenberg Bible. Fascinating. The 1800s saw the addition of the book cover or dust jacket. Cloth, being more durable than paper, was often used as an inexpensive substitute for leather. Then, in 1834, Swedish chemist Carl Wilhelm Scheele discovers chlorine. And before long, we had white paper. When pages started turning white, only 12% of the world could read. Over the next 200 years, literacy would expand, and today, 87% of the world is literate. That is staggering progress. But massive inequalities remain. Countries like Burkina Faso, Niger, and South Sudan still experience a literacy rate below 30%. In better news, North Africa and the Middle East see literacy for those between 15 and 24 over 90%, while only 30% of those over 65 are literate. That means that in one generation, literacy dramatically improved. At 44, I'm thinking about my wisdom journey. How many books do I have left to read? How much time should I allocate to reading? And what do I do with the information? Given my borderline ridiculous desire for better, I signed up for a course on becoming a better reader. My issue is not productivity or speed, though both could use help. Rather, I want to honor and learn from the incredible prose in Where the Crawdads Sing with a pithy insight in Midnight Library. How do I take the lessons coming off the pages of Ryan Holiday's books and turn them into action? Reading Ego is the Enemy is not helpful when my ego gets in the way of a nice evening with my son. I'm also entertaining an interesting opposing thought. Don't read more books. Revisit the ones you've already read. See if it lands the same, or maybe you find something new. It's like the second or third time you watch a movie and you discover something that wasn't there before. A smile, a color, or that subtle costume change that shifts the tone of the story. As part of the course, I've returned to a book I love. The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life by Boyd Vardy is set on his family lion preserve. His close relationship with the African bush and the Shangan is central to the story. The result is a wonderful narrative chock full of lessons, metaphors, and wisdom about life. A few passages in this short book jumped out, and I wanted to share them with you. I'll dive deeper into the book again, but first, it deserves a few more reads. I hope you find these as thought-provoking as I did. Please enjoy and take care. Here's three quotes from the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. The first, we must learn to read the subtle tracks of the body, the way it relaxes and opens when something feels right, 
the contraction and tightness when we're not where we're meant to be. The second, the father washes onto the son. He lives inside you as an aspiration, a disappointment, or a fear. Afraid you will never be like him or afraid you will be. He is there in the bones of your emotions, in the voices in your head, in your expectations of yourself, in the shadows of your weakness or your strength. No matter how good the relationship, there's tension between the father and the son. And then finally, in complete solitude, I stop objectifying myself. In the bush, I don't think of myself in some social hierarchy. I don't define my value as a comparison with others. The birds and the animals don't judge me. It's a kind of healing in which I become human again. In complete solitude, we are not a concept of ourselves. We are ourselves. I hope you found this helpful. And if you did, hit like and consider sharing it with just one other person who might find it helpful too. I hope you're good out there. Take care.